pitter-patter of little feet. Well, welcome now to our winter series in the book of Galatians. It was our summer series, turned to our fall series, and now it is our winter series in this great book. Turn over to chapter 5 with me, if you would, getting started this morning. Let's begin by getting our minds thinking upon this text by my asking you a question this morning. I'm sure that you can get it. And that is, when we come to this text, we're reminded that one of the most common metaphors, one of the most common words that describes the Christian life, well, what is that? That's what I'm asking you. What is that? In fact, you can look at the title of this morning, and it uh, becomes pretty obvious to you right away, isn't it? It is, the, it is the walk, the idea of a walk. And it is such an appro- appropriate description of the Christian life. Look at verse 16 that we're going to begin in this morning. You see it right away. It's not the first time, many times throughout the New Testament. But I say walk. And when you think about a walk, it is so perfectly illustrating the Christian life in a number of ways. First of all, if we're going to go for a walk, it's going to take some effort. Are you with me on that? It's going to take some energy to walk. And certainly the Christian life involves effort in terms of our effort to grow and, and to implement the Word of God into our lives. When we think about a walk, likewise, uh, to, to walk involves not only a effort, but it is uh, something that we do one step at a time. Are you with me? I read recently an old Proverbs that said a, a thousand-mile journey begins with the first one step. And so the Christian life is just one day, one step at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we live the Christian life? One day at a time. In fact, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. And that's why this thing of the Christian life is also often referred to with reference to our sanctification, our growing in holiness, as we were taught again this morning, and it's called progressive because it's just that. It's just like the Christian life in terms of a walk, like a walk that we experience day to day. A walk involves a destination. Usually you're going to head somewhere when you're walking. You have some kind of destination. And that's certainly true in the Christian life because our destination has become more like Jesus Christ, is it not? And we know our final destination, but there's somewhere in mind. And then usually we have some kind of a guide in getting there. Usually have to know, well, where we're going, we're going to have to know how we're going to get there. We have to have a guide, likewise, in our walk, and we have a guide, which is the Word of God. So it's a beautiful metaphor, is it not, of the Christian life. And so it's not a surprise to us that when we look at the Scriptures, all these references throughout the New Testament concerning our walk in the faith. We're to walk in newness of life, according to Romans 6. We're to have a worthy walk in Ephesians 4, worthy of the Christ that we claim. We're to walk in light and not in... What would be the opposite of light? Amen. We're to walk in light, not in darkness. We're to walk carefully. I like that one. We're to walk carefully in wisdom, according to Ephesians 5. We're to walk and please God, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. There is a great expression of the Christian life. We're walking in a desire to please the God of heaven. Then we're to walk in truth, 
Word of God. We're to walk by faith and not by, everybody, look, not by what? Not by sight, but by faith. And then we are to walk likewise in love. And we were vividly reminded of that last week from our previous couple of verses in our text in chapter 5, verse 13 through verse 15. Look at verse 15, verse 13 with me. But you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom without love leads to license to serve self. Freedom in love leads to liberty to choose to please God and be a blessing to others and to serve others. And Paul is riding home on this particular theme of the Christian's liberty in Jesus Christ now to be free to serve the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then we get to verse 16 then, where he says, I want you then to walk by the Spirit. Now, when we're talking about this walking in, in love with reference to others, we can put that in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, if we have not love, we're just a noising clang, aren't we? And first, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians says that God's kind of love does not seek its own, but it seeks the good and well-being of others. So we've got this walking in love seeks others and pleasing God, and then we've got this issue that we're going to get to in 16 and following is walking in the flesh. And the flesh is always all about pleasing self. And the Galatians were then called to use their new freedom in Christ for self-sacrificial love and serving others. But there was a problem going on among the Galatians. And you know that in all the places that we've been previously in this this book. The Galatians, by the influence of the Judaizers, were drifting away from this freedom and liberty in Christ to love and serve others to a works and law-based, flesh-driven form of legalism. They had been convinced that now this Christian life takes us back to the law and back to this whole issue of legalism, living by law rather than by love. And it's always a matter of them living in the flesh by human effort alone. And Paul says that will only produce one thing, and that which is not pleasing to the God of heaven. So in verses 16, really all the way through chapter 6, verse 10, and you say, oh no, we're not going to get that far, are we? No. But all the way through 6.10 really is a very, very practical application section. And Paul's arguing then you cannot live this new life in Christ that way, in the flesh, by law as a legalist, because the new life is about a new walk by the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit, not self. So all the instruction for application for the Christian life 
is under this banner then that the Christian life is a spirit-powered, spirit-controlled, spirit-driven daily walk by and in the Holy Spirit. And that's really where we start in verse 16 and looking at this text learning, well then what really is encompassed in all of that? And we have four characteristics in these following verses of the new life that we are called to live. And one is just stated at the beginning of verse 16. We are to call, walk this new life in the faith, in Christ. It is a walk by the Spirit, right from the text. Walk by the Holy Spirit. And in the pre-teen and teen class that we are teaching Thank you for that opportunity with your kids Mm. on Wednesday nights in this whole thing about studying and learning how to read the Bible. One of the first things that we spend time on is observation. When we read the Bible, we observe and we look for things, and we look for things like promises or warnings or sins to avoid, that type of thing. And we have in verse 16 with this statement, to walk by the Spirit... And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We have both a command and a promise. And it's in an imperative form. In other words, it is a strong command in a continual sense that could be translated this way. You must keep on walking by the Spirit. This is not about how to be saved. We know that. This has to do with the Christian life. This is about what we call sanctification, about growing in holiness. And there is no growth in holiness apart from the Holy Spirit who produces that in our lives. So whatever this is about, whatever this idea, walking, continuing in the Spirit, whatever this is about, however this functions, It is a command to be continual in the Christian life. And the idea here, getting a little bit technical with reference to the idea of the text, is that the instrumental means, the agency of this action in your life, is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the capacity and power to live this new life. Now, that's not a surprise to you. You already know that. But if you turn in your Bible to John chapter 14, if you would, John chapter 14, and we are remembering that some of the key truths that we learn about the Holy Spirit, we learn from the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? And in John chapter 14, John 15, and John 16 are key chapters in the Bible in understanding the person and the work in the life of a Christian. So if you're John chapter 14, I want you to find verse 15 then. John 14, 15. And remember, the beginning of that Galatians passage was a command. And look what Jesus says about commands. John 14, 15, if you're there, would you say amen? If you love me, everybody finish it, you will what? Now read on. Now I will give the Father and he will give you another helper. We need all the help that we can get to live his commands, right? I'll give you a helper. 
parakaleo, one called alongside in order to aid and, and abed and help you, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because he does not see him. It does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be what? In you. What an amazing truth. God living in you. Christ in you, Paul says in Colossians, the hope of glory. And Jesus said it's going to be expedient that I, live, that I leave. What could be better than having Jesus with you? It's to have Jesus living in you. And the Spirit is going to abide in you and empower you. So that's what we're talking about. Turn back to Galatians. Thanks for turning there. That this new walk is enabled, is empowered by the means of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's possible to all of a sudden begin to think that we're talking about some higher plateau of the Christian life. We're talking about something with reference to you really... This, this new spiritual level of Christian life, all about the Spirit. And oftentimes, when we begin to talk about the work of the Spirit in the life of a Christian, we begin to get kind of mystical. And we think, well, this is some new thing, you know, beyond salvation that is experienced in the Christian life. And I want to say, no, what Paul is talking about in verse 16 and following is Christianity 101. This is the Christian life right here. This is basic Christianity, normal Christian living. To walk in the Spirit is to be fully aware that you cannot live this new life of pleasing God on your own. You need inner strength that comes from God and Him alone. You need help in order to live this new life. And that is only found and only comes from the work of the Spirit. Now again, how does that flesh out? Well, I want you to first turn with me over to the book of Ephesians and notice how Paul is speaking of that in Ephesians chapter 3. That's to the right in your Bible. I don't know how you get there in your phone, but in your Bible, it's to the right in chapter 3. And Paul is speaking of the wonder of the mystery of what it means to be in Jesus Christ and this new life in the gospel, and it motivates him to pray. In chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what he prays for the Ephesian church and the Ephesian believers and for you and I. This is for you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through, how? His spirit in the inner man. See it? Where does that come in the Christian life? To be strengthened with power if the Holy Spirit is anything in the Christian life. He is power. And the inner man, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So back to our Galatians passage. The command that is given to us is then not passivity. Why is that a big deal? It's not a command, as you heard this morning. Much of what I'm saying in this hour, just by the sovereignty and providence of God this morning, parallels what you heard in the first hour. This is not some command to sit on the sideline 
and watch the Spirit produce the image of Christ and fruit of the Spirit in your life. This is not, as you were reminded this morning, this is not some form of let go and let God. Remember hearing that? It's not about a, 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 a getting to a place where you to surrender or you yield. And lots of times when we talk about the Spirit, we want to talk about yielding to the Spirit. If you're going to talk about yielding, talk about yielding to the Word of God. Because that's what the Spirit always works in conjunction with. So it's not how much you yield, although we want to be obedient and humble in giving ourselves to the Word. But it is not the idea that you in some way are passive about the Spirit's work in your life. And that maybe by just total surrender you can come to a place, and there are people who teach this with reference to the Spirit, that you come to a place that you, you never even experience any temptation away from the will of God and have no desire for sin. Hey, friend, if you can get there, I want that. How about you? Amen? But you're going to get there, but it's called glorification. But you're not there yet. So let me give you a couple of words that aren't going to surprise you that I think put this together and let me develop it for a moment. This command in the first part of verse 16 that comes with a promise, this command is about dependence upon God and obedience from you. That's what we're talking about here. It almost sounds like what we sing even sometimes, trust and obey, for there's no other way. It's about dependence where? Upon God, His Spirit. It is about obedience upon you in the revealed will of God for your life in the Word. So I mentioned Wearsby just a moment ago, or quote relating to him. He says this, listen to He always has a way of putting things so clear for us, at least for me. He says, quote, remember, the Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with truth. John 14, the Spirit will come and guide you into all truth. So the, the Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with the Word of God. And so then in the Christian life, as you seek to follow Christ, we're up to that, aren't we? We're, up, we're for that, aren't we? Following the example of Christ. As you seek to follow Christ and follow the Word of God, to walk in the Spirit is to trust the Holy Spirit to help you do what you can't do in your own strength. And sometimes people might say, maybe you've said that or maybe you've thought that. Well, I, I just, people talk about following the Lord and living the Christian life and they say, well, I just can't, I can't live the Christian life. To that I want to say, amen, you can't. You can't on your own. You can't in human strength alone. But by grace, God will give you grace and will give you help and will give you power to follow Christ and to live the Christian life in his strength. So it is about you seeking to please God and the Holy Spirit empowering you to do so. And like what was mentioned this morning, or we mention other times when we talk about then this walking in the Spirit or living in the Christian life, is it about you or is it about the Spirit? Is it about your obedience? Is it about His power? And the answer to that is always what? It's always yes. It's both working together. So this command does not call for passivity. 
You're not on the sideline watching the Spirit work in your life. You are directly involved, and as you are, He is directly involved in you to help you follow Christ. Can you say amen to that? And if that's going on, look what he says in the second part of verse 16. When that's going on in your life, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Thank you for that. Walking in the Spirit is the only way you avoid walking in the flesh. Promise, if you're actively, promise given to us in the second part of that, of that verse. If you're actively seeking to live for the Lord, spending time in His Word, learning what it means to be dead to self and alive to Christ, Galatians 2.20, like was mentioned this morning, seeking to learn what it, what it means to present your body a living sacrifice, giving yourself unto the Lord, learning what it means to live the truth of Romans chapter 6, where you are dead to sin, live to Christ, and not under the old master of sin and self and flesh, learning what it means, what Peter says, so walk in grace and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these are all from the scriptures of what Jerry Bridges says so well. They are all disciplines of grace in the Christian life. And if that's being pursued, if that's part of your walk, as you pursue such things that are presented to us in the Word, what the Apostle is saying, what the Word of God is saying in the second part of verse 16, is that you're not going to be living your life in the flesh. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot live a feeling-motivated, self-focused, desire-driven life, living for or worshiping self and not God. You cannot live there and be walking in the Spirit at the same time. You will not, double negative, carry out the desire of the flesh. The point is, the two ways of living are mutually what? They are mutually exclusive. You can't be praying and looking at porn both at the same time. Amen? You can't do that. You can't be walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh at the same time. Now, you may choose to walk in the Spirit, and you can certainly walk in the flesh, but you can't do both. They are contrary to one another. You can't go upstream and downstream at the same time. You can't live in Wisconsin and Indiana at the same time. When I saw the snow, it reminded me of home, the snow, Wisconsin. But I'm here, I ain't there. Amen to that, right? So they're mutually exclusive. It's like what Paul says in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14. So we are back to that thing, aren't we? We're back to that thing that there are two choices on the, on the shelf. We're right back there. And there is no neutral ground here. And as a Christian, you are either walking in the Spirit or you're gratifying the flesh. But you pursue the new life, you won't be living the old life. What great news we have. Now, if you're saved and you don't understand how to pursue this new life or how to grow, that's a different issue. 
But the fact is, if you're a believer and you're not growing, you're in dangerous territory because if we're not pursuing sanctification, then we are living in the flesh, and living in the flesh is discouraging and disheartening and even dangerous for the, for the believer. So we have this command with the promise, this new life, walking by the enablement of the Spirit of God, and we'll, we'll be living a life pleasing to him, not a sinless life, but a life that we're not being controlled by the old man or by that which is the flesh. Secondly, then, well, verse 17, verse 17, we have reality. We have reality. And the reality of verse 17 is there's something going on. Uh, here's an illustration in reality. You may like this. Uh, one of my grandsons gave me a three or four hours of work, and he did a good job helping me around the home, and I determined I was going to pay him. And I was going to pay him really well for his work. So uh, I think I figured about 17, 18 bucks an hour that I was going to give him. And rather than give it to him right away, I decided I would send it to him. And I sent it to him um, with, with a receipt concerning what he's made. But before I sent it, I withdrew local tax, state tax, federal tax, Social Security, and all the rest. And it got it right down to what he was really worth after all of that. And I sent that to him. And I'm not, I don't understand. He didn't, he didn't enjoy the joke at all. But that's, would you say that's reality? You might say some that's reality. This is reality in verse 17. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, and you have any desire to live for him at all, you don't need me to spend a lot of time in, ver, in, in interpreting verse 17, because it's reality. But let me read it. Here's, here's where it's at. While you're commanded, and God will give you grace, to live this new life empowered by the Spirit. The fact is, verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. Taking the notes for the outline this morning, telling us in verse 17, this new walk in the Spirit involves ongoing internal conflict. There it is. And the Christian life is not a stroll in the park, is it? It's not a stroll in the park. In Ephesians 6, the Bible tells us that this new walk is warfare. Remember Ephesians 6. So in verse 16, we have the explanation of this new life, but in verse 17, we're given the intensity of it. There's a struggle against the world. There's a struggle against the God of this world. But our biggest battle is not out there. Everybody with me? Our biggest battle is where? It's right in here. It's right in here. And verse 17 expanded in an entire chapter in the Bible. You know where that is. It's right there in the book of Romans, is it not? That's the whole point of what Paul is driving home in the book of Romans. After he tells us in chapter 6, you can be dead to sin. But he also tells us in chapter 7, that war is not over until you're glorified. But every opportunity you have to say no to sin and yes to God is a choice in which you are glorifying and pleasing him. 
what an opportunity that we have. But Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. And I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. A couple verses later, really following verses. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. The key word there is, in verse 17, is this word uh, desire. Desire. Every believer knows that there are times that you desire, you, you, you want to do what is right, but times you don't do it. And then why don't I always do what I know I should do, but I do rather what I shouldn't? What's going on here? And the explanation of it is, you're married. Right? It's your husband or... No, you have kids. Right? Or no, you have a bad boss. Or you have unbearable neighbors. Or we live in a fallen world. All that may be. (laughs) But that's not, it's never been your biggest problem as a believer. Your biggest problem as a believer... And it wakes up with me every morning. How about you? It's right here. It's right here. It's the flesh. In Christ, we have a new nature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Made alive to Christ. Galatians 2.20, crucified to Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, we're instructed to continually continually put on the new self. The new man. But as we put on the new man, there's a remnant of the old man that remains right there. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. But that flesh, however you want it, it's right there. Well-defined is the remnant of fallen humanness. That's a good way to see that. Or, Or the remains... That, that, that remains in you as an, an ever-existing propensity for sin. And not only a propensity for sin, but there are times you just flat-out love it more than you love God. And you hate that. Epithumia is that word, uh, desire, conveys an intensely strong desire. One that, in some contexts is used with reference for God, and we want that. But here, it's a way. So the Spirit, as you go through the Christian life, the Spirit seeks to halt what the flesh desires, and the flesh tries to override what comes from the Spirit. Paul says, wretched man that I am. But please, don't do this. Don't you dare see yourself as a two-headed monster, and you're just watching every day who's going to win. It doesn't work that way. No. You have that new nature in Jesus Christ. You have remnants of the old, but you have that new nature in Christ. 
And you're to put the new man on and walk in newness of life, as we saw from the Scriptures. And there is victory in Jesus Christ by the Spirit to conquer the flesh-driven life. So we have hope because we have Christ and because we have the Spirit. So yes, there's a tendency for the old Kevin to be there. He gets up with me every morning. But I am a new creature in Christ with new capacity by the Spirit to live the new life by faith and obedience, by dependence upon God and by obedience in His Word. Well, Paul gives us some good news concerning that in verse 18. Oop, I'm pressing the wrong. And in verse 18, he tells us that this new walk in the Spirit covers the law. Look at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And if there's anything that Paul wanted the, Corinth, the Galatians to know, it was that truth. That they're not even under the law anymore if they're under grace and empowered by the Spirit of God. It is this It is this law and the legalistic manner of life are covered or fulfilled by the walk in the Spirit that seeks to please God and serve others out of love. Verse 14, back to it, verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled. The whole law is covered in loving your neighbor as yourself. Seeking to please God covers the entire list of the do's and don't of the legalist. The legalist is down there in verse 19, 20, and 21, and he says, here is the list of 18 things you can't do and 17 things that you have to do. And the person who is free to love Christ with all your heart says, wait a minute, I don't need the list. That's all covered in my desire to follow the word and please God. So he doesn't need the list. It's covered. It's covered. What a wonderful, great truth that is. In fact, listen to the way the apostle conveys that to us in the book of Romans. Turn with me to that glorious Romans chapter 8. And if it's a good thing that I'm preaching this section this morning and I'm turning to Romans chapter 8 because if Marshall was preaching Romans 8 this is for Marshall this morning if he took us to Romans 8 he couldn't stop and he'd take us through the whole chapter amen (laughs) wouldn't he and it would be great would it not that was for that was for Marshall okay (laughs) but I just want you to read the beginning of Romans 8 that's all about the spirit and the hope that we have and the power of the spirit in our lives possible to walk out of here today if you're in Christ and to be reminded from the Word of God, Lord, I can please you, and I can enjoy the Christian life, and I can be a blessing to others. And what a great thing to know. Chapter 1, chapter chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's enough, amen? Always remember, the chapter starts with no condemnation, it ends with no separation. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, 
God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, purpose clause, look, verse 4. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but what? But according to the what? To the Spirit. What does life in the Spirit do? It covers the demands of the law. God, thank you for the law. It helped me see that I was a sinner and in need of a Savior. But now the new life in Christ fulfills the demands of the law because I want you want to please the God of heaven. So the believer whose liberty is governed by love He doesn't need the list of the law from the legalist because walking in the Spirit and pleasing God covers that list, and it covers more. But verse 19 and following, we really have a warning, and warnings are good if we listen to them. Are you with me? Warnings are good if we listen to them. And in verses 19 through verse 21, the apostle reminds us that there is, as we walk in the Spirit, yet there is an ever-awareness of my capacity for the old life, for the flesh. The new walk by the Spirit is ever aware of the believer's ability and capacity for sin. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh, and we could read it this way, couldn't we? Now the fruit of the flesh, because in verse 19 and following, we've got fruit of the flesh. In verse 22 and following, we've got fruit of the the Spirit. So he's got a great contrast here. We're going to pick it up in the fruit of the Spirit next week, Lord willing. But in verse 21... In verse 21, look at how he's beginning in verse 19. He says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are evident. He's saying, you know full well all about this. These are things where you lived. And, And you look at this list that he gives us in verses 19, 20, and 21. And I want you to notice down in verse 21, he says this, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. If he says things like these, this is not an exhaustive list. This list could go on and on and on and on. In fact, it could conclude verse 15, biting and devour one another. It could verse, conclude verse 26, boasting and challenging one another. This is just a sample list. But I want to say to you as a believer this morning, if you are not walking in the Spirit and seeking to grow and please Christ, then there's a capacity for any and all of 19 through verse 21. As someone new in Christ, I remain a capacity for every ugly sin ever known to mankind. But by the grace of God, if you're in Christ, your attitude is, dear God, I don't want any of that because now I have a new goal and a new life. But this is, this is ugly. The Puritan William Perkins 
said, this list of vices is a mirror to reveal the corruption in your own heart. Mm. Yeah. You know this full well, he says. This is evident. Paul is then reminding us and warning us where life is without growing in life in the Spirit. Fruit of the flesh, works of the flesh. Most put these in four categories, and I'm going to do the same. And you're saying to yourself right now, well, look at that list. That, that's like six hours of work for Pastor Kevin. But I'm going to say to you, we're going to go through them fast just because of what Paul says. They are obvious. They are so obvious. They're usually in four categories. First category gives us is obviously it's, it relates to sexual sin. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. See this? Or the believer's capacity for this. Immorality is that Greek word pornea. You know where that goes. All forms of sexual activity outside of God's will in the context of marriage. The word for impurity, all that is morally unclean. Sensuality is the sensual, driven, unrestained, Romans chapter 1, deviant life. It's all there. Next category that people normally give us here, and I think it's well done, are religious sins. Look where we go next. Verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. And these Gentile believers, these Gentile, and many of the Jews, but the Gentile believers definitely that Paul is writing to there were, were worshiper of idols. But you and I know that we have hearts that commonly produce a factory of idols of things that we easily love more than we love God. It's to be put to death. Idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft, spiritism, demonic deception, religious sins. Third category, relational sins. It's interesting that this one seems to be the longest that relates to people with other people. We know about this here. Relational sins, enmities, hateful attitudes, animosity toward others, strife, quarrels, conflict, jealousy, wanting what others have and having ill feelings toward them because they have what you want, outbursts of anger, kinds of things that hurt others, fits of anger, just, just sinful anger that never accomplishes, according to James, anything about the will of God. Disputes, revelries, some of our translations say, motivated by selfish ambition. Dissensions, divisions that lead to being, to biting and devour one another is back in verse 15. Factions, factions are choosing up sides, beloved. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm Apollos, I'm of Jesus, I'm of this person, I'm of that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Choosing up sides rather than everyone being on Christ's side and submissive to his word. Please say amen to that. Choosing up sides, factions, envying spiritual cancer of the soul from a bad attitude toward others. Oh, so many different ways this stuff can surface in our hearts. And then oftentimes these last two that are mentioned, 
drunkenness and carousing in verse 21 are often called sins of personal indulgence. And in the worship of pagan gods, part of that related to getting intoxicated oftentimes. Carousing, and there's a, that horrible word of orgies, some of our translations. It's godless self-indulgence and deviant behavior, living like animals. Oh, dear God. That's the capacity of our hearts without Christ. Notice what he does in verse 21. And things like these of which I forewarned you, see it's a warning, just as I have forewarned you, I warn you again, that those who practice, key word, everybody say the word practice. One more time, say practice. It's in a continual sense, it means this idea, it means those who make these particular sins characteristic of the way that you live your life. He is saying, if this is characteristic of your life every day, not have you ever, have you ever been jealous, or not have you ever certain situations ever had strife, but if these kinds of things characterize your daily life, look what he says. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's not talking about merely struggling with the flesh. We're all there. But he's saying if this characterizes your everyday life and how you live it apart from God, you're still in the flesh. You're a lost person. But Paul believes better of them. And I believe better of you. And I pray you believe better of me. So Paul's point is walk, live in the power of the Spirit under the authority of the Word of God, and you'll not live in verses 19 through 21. Praise God for that. Can you say amen? You'll not live there. You don't have to live there. And let me tell you the good news that's above all the news in this section. You know why this is all possible? Because some 2,000 years plus, somebody came who lived a perfect life, fulfilled all of the law, and died on a cross, and paid for my sin. And yours I pray too. And you can say, because of what he did and how he took my sin upon himself and imputed his righteousness to me, and now I live in Christ, and Christ lives in me, and I have the Spirit, I can enjoy the Lord. And I, with his help and by his word and with the Spirit, walk in truth, walk by the Spirit, walk in righteousness. And let, as we heard in the first hour this morning, let our light so shine men might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And they will say, well, that's because I'm really pretty righteous dude. No, that will say what? That's because there is one who is righteous, Jesus Christ, and he can change your life too. Amen? Bow in prayer with me. With our heads bowed, Father, humbly, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the warning of the text. We thank you for the hope of your word. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. And so in the Christian life, in this walk that we've talked about, we, we, are, we are grateful. We are grateful that there is enablement and power 
to walk in the light of the truth and the light of Christ. We praise you for that. And I ask that you will strengthen this morning the body of Christ present here today. There be someone that says, man, I, I'm just, I'm living there in that flesh. Well, bring them, bring them to look unto Christ. And if it be that we as a church we need to help them walk in this newness of life, may we be sensitive to do that. Because we don't have to live as we once lived. And thank you that there is a day in which we won't even know the things that we talked about this morning in terms of all of these works of the flesh. We don't even know what that is one day. So in the meantime, in the meantime, time motivate us unto faithfulness in this walk. And I pray these things in Christ's name. And all his people said, Amen. Amen.